0: Happy Thanksgiving, everyone. Yes, I am releasing this show a day early due to the Thanksgiving holiday. Coming up on today's show, I'll be reviewing the film Jojo Rabbit with returning guest Steve Wise. You know him as the writer, director, and producer of the film Survey. And he actually got to see Jojo Rabbit at the Orlando Film Festival a few weeks ago. So we talk about that and just our overall thoughts on the entire movie. Steve actually says it's his favorite movie of 2019. And it's definitely one of my favorites as well, from top to bottom. It's a very good film, from acting to cinematography, but you'll hear about that here in just a second. I'll also be chatting with acting instructor Michelle Danner, who has a really fascinating story from growing up in the entertainment industry to becoming an actress and acting coach, and then transitioning to being a director. She's also directed a few films as well. All of that coming up on this week's episode of the Derek Diamond Experience podcast, which starts right now. It is Wednesday, November 27th, and welcome back to the Derek Diamond Experience Podcast. You might be asking yourself, why am I releasing the show on Wednesday? It's because tomorrow, if you're listening to this the day it comes out, is Thanksgiving. So, got a cool interview segment for you later on, but first, I'm happy to be joined once again with the writer, director, and producer of the film, Survey. Mr. Steve Wise. How are you?
1: I'm good. Thank you
0: for having me back. No, absolutely. So, before we get into the, the topic of what we're going to be discussing today, uh, as I said, this is going to be released right before Thanksgiving. Do you have any type of a special Thanksgiving tradition that you do or you have done in the past?
1: Um, not really. I mean, I go over to my parents' house and, you know, family gets together. Yeah. yeah. It's pretty much the same thing as
0: most Most, most everyone. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, that's pretty much what Thanksgiving is for me. It used to be a lot bigger than it is now, but still make it a point to visit family and everything. Luckily, you know, my family lives like an hour away from here, so it's not a terrible drive, but um, today we're going to be talking about a film that you actually uh, indirectly inspired me to go see, (laughs) and that is Jojo Rabbit. I remember seeing the trailer for this um, a while back, and I didn't say, I, I wouldn't say I scratched my head at it, but it looked very interesting. So, I saw you post on Facebook, because you got to see it in Orlando, at the Orlando Film Festival, and you said, Jojo Rabbit is the best movie I've seen this year. Yes,
1: and I still agree with that.
0: And I take that as very high praise coming from you, so I'm thinking, I really hope that it's shown around here so I can actually see it. Then Julio posts on Facebook, oh, Jojo Rabbit's playing at the AMC on W Street. That night, I went to see it. So... What were your thoughts uh, on this? How were you introduced to this first of all, and then how was your experience seeing it?
1: Uh, The first time I saw the trailer was actually on YouTube, and you know, popped up in Facebook or something, and it's like, okay, this is odd. And uh, of course, you know, they were promoting it from the the director of um, Thor Ragnarok, uh, Taika Waititi, and that's how you say his name. I think if I don't, (laughs) if I didn't mess it up. and I honestly, I haven't been really following his career. I mean, i I'm aware of it, but I haven't seen a whole lot of other things that he's done. And I really enjoyed Thor, you know, Thor Ragnarok. Um, I mean, it was just very playful and colorful and had its own unique sense of humor that was different than the other Marvel movies. and, and, in particular, different than the previous two Thor movies. And it really brought that character to life in a way that um, I, I never really cared for the other. I mean, they were okay. And, you know, I didn't dislike them, but the other two movies just kind of fell flat for me. I like the character in the Avengers films, but as far as a standalone film, eh. And so what? Um, what the director did with that I thought was really phenomenal, so I'm very interested in seeing what else he's, you know, he's doing. And uh, so when the trailer for Jojo Rabbit came out, it was like, okay, this is a wacky comedy set in World War II Germany with a little kid who imagines Adolf Hitler as his
0: f- friend. And he's a diehard Nazi. Yes. (laughs) And
1: it's like,
0: okay, there's a lot of ways this movie could go wrong.
1: (laughs) But, um, and I I know that it was originally, um, it was a Fox Searchlight film, if I'm not mistaken. And um, it was in production before Disney bought Fox. And so now Disney had to try to figure out how to market this thing. And it's not exactly a Disney film. It's It's not... um, doesn't have a, it's not R rated or anything, but um, but I could see where it'd be a challenge for the marketing department to try to figure out how to sell this thing, and uh, and, and I think that they did a really good job with that because the, the trailers that um, that they released captured the tone and made me want to see it.
0: Well, and, and like you, um, Taiko Watiti, and hopefully we're getting his name right. I agree with you 100 percent about what he did with Thor because the first two movies I thought were were okay, but they almost played a little too much into, like, the Norse mythology, Mm. and they were good, but I wasn't that amped about them, but when I I remember seeing the first trailer for Ragnarok, and I thought, this is the direction they need to go with Thor, because it reminded me of one of those fun 80s sci-fi films. Even the logo looks like it came straight out of 1985. Loved it, so when I saw that his name was attached to it, that made me instantly interested in seeing it. And I thought overall, the the thing that really drew me into this movie and to me, what should drive you, draw you into a movie is the acting. I thought the acting by the entire cast was great.
1: Oh yeah, absolutely.
0: Especially, um, so Roman Griffin Davis plays Jojo. Mm-hmm. From the very beginning up until the closing credits, I loved everything about, His character and it's so wacky and over the top. You just imagine this kid who's, like you said, growing up in World War II Germany as a diehard Nazi, but his performance makes it almost kind of charming in a way, which is (laughs) insane to think about because knowing you know what what happened with World War II and everything and what Germany is you know portrayed as during that time. But it was just really, really good, and I was really surprised with the turnout. I was telling you before we started, mm-hmm. there was close to thirty people in the theater, which was way more than you know what I thought there would be.
1: Yeah, I saw it at the Orlando Film Festival, and it, it was a—I um, don't know if it was a selected screening or uh, how exactly that worked—but they were able to to include it in into the festival. And this was—it was still in limited release nationwide at the time, and. Even now, it's technically in wide release, but it's only like one theater yeah. <laughs> here in Pensacola. So um, I don't know how many of the major markets it's playing in multiple theaters, you know. So it's it still is kind of hard to find. And it, um, if it is playing in your area, wherever you may be listening to this, um, go check it out because it, it's well worth the while.
0: Disney should pay us because of how much we're plugging in. <laughs> <laughs>
1: but, um, but yeah, it, it, um, we had at the, the Orlando Film Festival, you know, the film festivals um, kind of vary in the, the attendance um, and this one was a pretty, you know, large film festival and, you know, they had um, basically half the movie theater taken over for, for the screening so they had multiple houses that uh, different programming was taking place and, you uh, um, they had, it was about half half the audience, or half the, the theater was filled with people for this screening.
0: which That's was, great. Yeah, it was really nice. Yeah. And it kind of plays into something that I actually spoke about with Julio on the podcast a couple of weeks ago, about now, maybe I've been, just been missing the boat on this whole thing, but I feel like, especially over the last month or so, more indie films are being shown, especially here in our area. Because like the Lighthouse you know, it was playing a couple of weeks ago. Now, Jojo Rabbit, I saw that Parasite was playing mm-hmm. at the, the theater on W Street. So it, it's it's cool that theaters are now starting to show movies that aren't big budget adventures like, you know, Avengers Endgame mm-hmm. or Star Wars, which is coming out in a couple of weeks. So I, I thought that was really cool.
1: Well, for people who are complaining that the only thing that Hollywood is pres- you know producing is... The big tentpole blockbuster films, uh, another sequel, another remake. Um, go support your all these independent films because the more that audiences pay to see them, the more that the studios and distribution companies will want to book them and and want to make them. You know we have kind of a, a disconnect in the film industry right now where we have movies that cost two hundred fifty million dollars that are the huge blockbusters that a lot is riding on. I mean, they have to make half a billion dollars just to break even with all the marketing costs and everything else that goes into it. And, and then you have these little low budget films that relatively speaking, don't cost a whole lot of money, but they don't get a lot of distribution either. And so their profit margin can be really large. Uh, but, You know, by comparison, it's like, oh, this is, you know, making nothing. And, you know, every now and then you get a movie that, you know, has a modest budget that does really, really well. And they're like, oh, good. We need to jump on that. And now let's try to sequelize this. (laughs) But when you have movies like Jojo Rabbit or The Lighthouse that are one off movies, they are intended to be a complete story by itself. There is no way that they can do a sequel to it. And people don't go to see it. Uh, they, the studios and, and these you know the people with money um, making decisions are least less likely to put up money for the next film that comes along like that
0: yeah no it it makes logical sense if you want more movies like this go see the ones that come out mm-hmm. so what was it as you're watching Jojo rabbit what was it that drew you into making this your favorite movie of the year yeah um, well I was I was talking
1: actually with a couple people after the screening and uh, some of the, the staff members of the festival actually and we we all kind of agreed that every shot was perfect. <laughs> I mean there wasn't a wasted moment in the film. Um you know Watiti did just a phenomenal job with you know, directing it, um, and he wrote the screenplay also. But there, like I said, there wasn't a wasted moment in it. Um, and right off the bat, I mean, it it, it used humor to suck you in because you know, it's like, okay, this is kind of a, a a time and place and the situation that was ugly in in history, very dark. But when we see it through the eyes of a ten year old, and you know, it, it, there's an innocence about it because he doesn't, tr- you know, truly understand what is going on or how, you know, how it's playing out in, in the rest of the world or even, you know, parts of parts of Germany where it takes place um, through the course of the story. He does learn about the ugliness, but at the beginning, it's more of, OK, this is playtime mm-hmm. and, you know, the, he, he's sent off to, you know, like this um, youth training camp to teach them how to be soldiers at some point and um, you know, the, the misadventures that he gets into there (laughs) is, is funny, but it, it, there's also reality in it and and not to spoil things that happen in it, but something happens to him that could be very tragic, but and it, and it's played off in a fairly realistic manner Mm -hmm. as far as his reaction to it. But it's still done in in a very humorous way. And so there's, there's this kind of a mixture of the reality with almost a farcical feel to it. And, and I like that style.
0: Yeah. When you... To tell kind of the overall arc of it, you really see Jojo grow up yes. as the movie progresses. Because as you mentioned, the beginning it seems almost like he's in his own make-believe world. Yes. Of, you know, he loves this certain aspect of something. But then as he matures and grows up throughout the story and the events unfold, starting with, we'll, we'll call it the accident that happens, (laughs) you know, he learns the reality of situation by the time the movie ends, he has a completely different viewpoint. So you're, you're seeing really good character growth and development from opening shot to the end credits. I think. And you
1: mentioned um, Roman Griffin Davis. The he was only ten years old when when they made this movie. Um, He's never done anything else. I mean, this is his first movie. Once upon a time, I wrote a or co-wrote a screenplay that involved a child as the lead of a very heavy situation. And my co-writer and I shopped it around to Hollywood. And one of the common things that we were told was. Oh, this is a great script. It's a great, great story. I would go see this movie, but we're not going to put money into it because we can't trust that a young actor that age could carry the movie. This is proof that you find the right actor. A child could carry a movie with this type of um, subject matter.
0: Well, I think also when you find the right director and the right story, too, it's just a, the, the right elements all combined together and it all just worked. And I, I, as I mentioned before, I think the cast was solid overall. You know, Scarlett Johansson plays his mother. I thought she did a good job. I really liked Sam Rockwell's character. <laughs> he was so funny.
1: And, and he uh, actually, at the Orlando Film Festival, uh, they, they gave him the award for best actor.
0: Oh, wow. That's awesome.
1: And uh, yeah, the the movie actually walked away with three awards uh, for Best Feature Film, uh, Best Actor for Sam Rockwell, and Best Director.
0: That's awesome. That's really cool. And then uh, mentioning Waititi, he plays Adolf Hitler, as I (laughs) say, as he appears in JoJo's Imagination. And this was the thing that really kind of made me curious to see this movie was that Those shots of him in the trailer, I'm thinking, okay, this is clearly a satire. Yes. So I wonder how they're going to play it off. And it it was just perfect.
1: Well, the thing is, he's not actually playing Hitler. Correct. He's playing a child's imagination of Hitler. And so you have this kid who is idolizing a public figure who he doesn't really truly understand everything about him. Or very much, and so he's using his imagination to bring him to life, and and it's to some degree it's kind of his alter ego too, because this version of Hitler is telling him things and kind of being um, that devil on his shoulder, so to speak, and where he sometimes they argue over what's right and what's wrong and what the best course of action would be, and ultimately. You know, Part of his growing up is to reject that part
0: of him and to reject Hitler you know, in a
1: literal and figurative way.
0: <laughs> well, it leads to a sequence towards the end of the movie, which is one of my favorites, is when he truly does yeah. reject it. And just seeing the over-the-top argument with his Im- imagining of Hitler mm-hmm. and Jojo was one of my favorite scenes of the entire movie.
1: Yeah, it, it, that was great. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but but the thing too is, Ytt, um, uh, um, he I believe that um, he is part Jewish, if I'm not mistaken. I, I believe I've seen him discuss that, and so it's kind of in the in the respect of like Mel Brooks doing, you know, um, Springtime for Hitler, or yeah. you know, to where you have someone who has a personal connection to what happened in Germany. And, um, and so he feels from what I gather where he can take pot shots at that. And, and, you know, if, if he had cast someone else's Hitler, it, it may not have resonated quite as, as uh, strongly as it did with this.
0: Yeah. No, and that, that I think that's actually a very good comparison. It was like a Mel Brooks interpretation mm-hmm. of what Hitler would be, because I could see that character fitting in with, you know, like a history of the world, part one, right. something along those lines. One of my favorite aspects, and there was a lot that I actually, I really liked about the movie, but one of my favorite subplots is when Jojo discovers, I think her name was Elsa, being hidden in his house. And she was taken in by his mother. Yeah, which that to me you could say is the the true turning point for him, as he's because he has all these outlandish thoughts about you know the Jewish people and what they're like and what they do, but then he learns that that's not true at all. It was just really, really captivating to me the chemistry between those two.
1: Well, her character was really fun, Mm -hmm. and. I mean, she had a great personality and just how she played mind games with him <laughs> was just hysterical. You know, and it's a situation again where you have this young Jewish girl who, you know, she's a teenager, 15, 16 years old mm-hmm. and, you know, she's hiding for her life and, you know, you have Jojo's mother who has hidden this girl without telling him. Mm -hmm. So there's this person living in the walls of their house and he only discovers it because of hearing noises. Um, And he thinks it's the ghost of his sister who had died. So, you know, even with the farce and, you know, the humor that's thrown in there, you have this specter of death that hangs over everything. And, you know, just within the family, his father is not in the picture. He's off at war. Maybe supposedly, (laughs) supposedly, um, what actually happened to him? There's debate, you know, some, some of his friends or the other kids, I should say, um, you know, taunt him because they say that the father was a coward and ran off and, you know, was that the truth? We don't know. So, um, but here you have his mother who is hiding a major secret from him because she doesn't trust him. And then when he discovers the girl, he's keeping that a secret from his mother. So you have both the mother and son that are kind of hiding things from, you know, in both of them having to do with this, this girl. (laughs) And so that creates a lot of really wonderful tension in the house where, You know, when the two have to interact together and are kind of dancing around this, you know, hiding what they actually know from from each Mm -hmm. other. And um, and and the fact that the mother is involved with actually the resistance, if you will, against the Nazis and um, trying to, you know, internally as a German citizen, trying to do what she can
0: to, you know, fight against this terrible thing that's going on. And I won't say what happens, but I got really drawn into the movie when you find out what happens to her and the way that you find out. Yeah, like my my jaw almost hit the floor. Yeah, like it was just that it was, was powerful. Yes,
1: and and that's the beauty of this movie too. That there were, you know, it starts off kind of like a farce, you know, and you think, okay, this is just a goofy, silly comedy, and there's true emotion that's there and. I mean, there's some scenes that just had me in tears. Um, and then there were scenes that had me in tears laughing. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, I laughed. I cried. Yeah, it, it it really does play with your emotions. And like I said, just every shot in the movie
0: just draws you in. And it's like, it's captivating. Yeah, it was beautifully shot. Mm-hmm. Uh, you mentioning uh, JoJo's friends, I, I got to mention Archie Yates, who played uh, Yorkie, the. King oh, the he's glasses. so good. <laughs> <laughs> and this, this isn't really spoiling anything cuz I think this was in the trailer. Yeah. When he launches the missile <laughs> into the building. <coughs> He's like, "Oh, hey, Jojo."
1: <laughs> and this is another case where, you know, they're just kids, you know. They're they're not really aware of the greater scheme and of things and they just approach it in just in a very innocent childlike manner
0: he's so naive it was great cuz <laughs> jojo even mentions oh i have a girlfriend now and she's jewish oh good for you it was just like yeah just a complete non-judgmental friend everybody should have a friend like him i think yeah. let's see i guess as we start to um as we start to wrap up the discussion here would you say this is as close to a perfect movie as you can get?
1: Um, oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's just like I said, it's it's the best movie that I have seen this year. And I'm not saying that's necessarily the best movie that came out this year because I haven't seen everything. But um, it really it truly touched me in manners that, you know, most movies don't. And, you know, you can go to a Marvel movie and get caught up in the spectacle of things and be caught up in, you know, the you know, soap opera antics of superheroes. And that's great. You know, I, am a huge star Wars fan and, and I, you know, I'm looking forward to the rise of Skywalker, but it's also nice to be able to see a movie like this that, you know, I wouldn't say it's a low budget movie because, you know, they had the, the, the recreation of 1940s Germany is really well done. And of course there's some, you know, big name people, Scarlett Johansson, Sam Rockwell, and a few others. Um, So, you know, they, they, they paid a little bit of money for, for these actors and, you know, there is some star power that's behind this, but, um, but it's the, the performance of the kids that really makes the movie what it is and, and the direction and the writing. I mean, everything just, it hits all the notes just perfectly and
0: really is just a wonderful film. To me, it personified what I love about movies and that is going to a theater And just getting completely immersed in the story. For however long the movie might be, I was completely drawn in. I wasn't thinking of anything else. My mind didn't wander. I was drawn in from very beginning up until the very end. So to me, that... I'm not sure if I would rank it as my favorite movie of the year, because I'd have to really sit down and think of everything that I've seen, but... It's definitely one of the best. It would easily be in if I were to make a like a top ten list. It would easily be in you know the top three to top five.
1: Well, and again, you know, for people who you know maybe either they don't like the big you know superhero movies or the big blockbusters, or they're just kind of tired of that that genre. Which again, I'm all for those. You know, <laughs> I, I I love me some Star Wars. Love me some uh, Marvel. Um, but you know, for a change of pace, um, go see this movie.
0: Well, that's the beauty of movies. You can go enjoy a big budget, fun film like an Avengers or Star Wars, and then you can get lost in the story of a Jojo rabbit or the lighthouse.
1: So you're saying that a low budget character drama shot in black and white and a $300 million superhero movie, both could be considered cinema.
0: It's a crazy concept, isn't it? Yeah. Breaking news. Uh, That's a whole other debate for another podcast. But in closing, so I did want to bring this up because by the time this is released, we're going to be less than a month away from it. We're actually going to have a pretty big film screening here in Pensacola on December 21st. And your film, Survey, is going to be a part of it. Mm-hmm. So, do you want to give a brief overview of what Survey is and what people can expect from it? Well,
1: Survey is a short film, it's a, an award winning film. We've uh, played in nine countries so far, 45 film festivals, won over a dozen awards. Um, It's a fantasy action adventure um, about a woman who finds a young girl in the woods after her people have been wiped out. And she has to bring the girl to safety and along the way marauders catch up with them and she has to do what she can to save their lives.
0: And I'm not saying it with any bias whatsoever just because I was involved with it, but it's a very good movie. You can enjoy that as well as several other films that we'll be playing Uh, And you'll actually be hearing from some of the filmmakers over the next few weeks. Uh, That will be on Saturday, December 21st at 7 p.m. at Perfect Plain Brewing Company in downtown Pensacola. So, Steve, in closing, thank you as always. And excited to, I hope we get to do our Star Wars discussion. Like we did, (laughs) because I know we we did um, this essentially a two part podcast about. The Marvel Cinematic Universe right before Endgame came out, mm-hmm. and then came back and reviewed that entire movie. So hopefully we can do the same for Rise of Skywalker. Absolutely. Stick around for my conversation with acting instructor, actress, and director, Michelle Danner. Thanks for listening. Happy to be joined with my very special guest this week, acting coach, film and stage director Miss Michelle Danner how are you today
2: I'm pretty good how are you
0: I'm doing good thank you so much for taking the time to do the podcast I was looking through your IMDb page as well as your website before we started so I uh, looked at some of your accomplishments and kind of blown away by it it seems like you've done you know quite a bit during your career so thank you again for taking the time
2: Thank you yes I'm I'm quite busy I don't know uh, you know, I don't think I could be any busier right
0: now. Well, it's like, uh, you know, my grandpa used to say uh, back when I was younger, it's better to be busy than bored. So uh, I think you're that definitely doing okay. That is absolutely
2: true. But I think, you know, if you love what you're doing, then uh, it's not a chore. It's more like uh, it's not a burden. It's uh, you're happy to do it.
0: Well, that's the ultimate inspiration or, I guess, aspiration is to, you know, do what you love to do for a living. And that that to me is, I, I watched this documentary a, a few weeks ago, it was called Somewhere in the Middle, and it was mm-hmm. about several different entertainers between actors, musicians, and artists, and they were all, you know, making a living doing what made them happy, and as far as, you know, the, the musicians go, they're not on the level of obviously like, you know, a Maroon 5 or some type of current act, but they make a living playing music and going on tours and doing albums and you know to me that that's ultimately what the measure of success should be is doing what you love to do and be happy doing it.
2: Exactly. That's always the key. That's it. You said it.
0: <laughs> so I guess starting from the the very beginning, how did you initially decide, hey, I want to become an actress?
2: a natural progression my childhood was filled with me uh, meeting artists uh, from all different you know all kinds of artists my dad was the, uh, the William Morris agency he had asked him at the time because he spoke lots of languages um, to open the very first William Morris agency in Paris in France and so he did off of the Champs-Élysées and he um, so, when I was a little girl, we moved to Paris, and I remember being under my dad's desk, and you know so many big celebrities, actors, you know artists, singers would come in and came home to dinner. and I guess I was uh, you know uh, did imitations of Alfred Hitchcock and uh, Ed Sullivan and Judy Garland. and I would tap dance on the coffee table when I was four years old. and so I you know was uh, I was raised in this in this environment. Um, I was always backstage with singers, with, you know, uh, concerts, and, you know, ADPF almost was going to be my godmother, but then it didn't work out. Uh, my dad, you know, represented Marlena Dietrich on tour, ADPF, Maurice Chevalier, all these old-timers, Sammy Davis, Benny Goodman. Um, so uh, that, that's how it all started for me, and uh, he, I, I loved, I had a love of books. And literature, I would read and just devour, you know, books nonstop, and go to libraries and bookstores and museums, and uh, and started to go to acting class and went to different conservatories in Paris and Saint Cloud in France, and um, I just loved loved to um, to express myself emotionally through language, and then we moved back to the states when I was. Fifteen, and I studied with Stella Adler, with Uta Hagen, uh, Herbert Berghof, some great, great teachers. Bill Esper, and um, and then moved to L.A., where I um, continued to act, but mostly found that I was also very good at teaching, and uh, and decided to focus a lot on that because a lot of actors wanted to study with me and coach with me and. You know, there was a lot of demand, so uh, I continue to pass down the knowledge that I acquired all my years of studying in France and in, you know, and in New York and in L.A. and um, it's been uh, just a, a great ride. I love I love teaching. It's a, it's a great passion of mine.
0: Do you find that as you've become you know a teacher? Do you find it in a way that makes you a better actor when you do act on screen?
2: Yes. Well, I'm acting much less now. I have. I've had a couple of offers to be in movies and, and, and shorts. And when people offer it to me, I do it because, well, first of all, it's great for actors to memorize. You know, if not, that muscle becomes atrophy. You have to memorize. So I always say yes. Um, to, to acting, you know, if, not always, but most of the time, <laughs> you know, if the part is, <laughs> is good. But, uh, but I'm focusing on directing and focusing on writing right now. And, and also on teaching. I teach all over the world. Um, just came back from Hawaii where I did a golden box class. That's a class that I, it's my signature class, master class that I teach everywhere and also in LA. Um, but of course, I mean, it all helps, you know. Knowing about acting, it helps with directing, and um, you know, I'm very fascinated by the craft of acting. It's it's an endless fascination for me.
0: Well, that's something that, when it comes down to, and I was doing, you know, an interview recently talking about this. When it comes to film, television, whatever the performing art is what's supposed to draw you in or at least in my opinion is the story and that's told through these characters and you get to I I almost envy actors in a way because they get to just totally immerse themselves in this role that they prepare for they study lines study mindsets whatever the case may be they essentially just get to become someone else whether that's an exaggerated version of their real life self or a completely different character. It, it, it's always fascinating to me to watch. And I, anytime I sit down and, and watch a movie, I love getting lost in the performance of the characters.
2: Well, I mean, and that is also the reason why so many people want to act. It brings us back to when we were a child, the wonder child. So many of us had the trunk with all the different costumes. And you played prince and princess and cowboys and Indians. And, you know, this idea of putting on clothing that's not yours and, you know, morphing into another human being uh, with, uh, you know, different uh, physicality and a different laughter and uh, different dreams. It's, you know, it's, it's the magic, the, the make-believe that is such a thrilling ride. And that's why so many people do it, and so many people want to do it because they imagine it to be quite a lot of fun. And in fact, it is. It's a lot of fun to act.
0: Well, and it's also another great thing about about film is that just getting lost in that world because it, one of my favorite aspects of film and TV, you can be having you know an awful day, whether it's in your day job or your personal life, and you can sit down and watch a movie or watch an episode of your favorite show and you just get lost in that world and for a time you forget about everything else that's going on in your life and that that's the beauty of acting it's the beauty of filmmaking theater whatever the performing art may be
2: well absolutely a lot of times you get lost in a world where characters have bigger problems than you and uh, it makes you feel better. It makes you feel better to you know, jump on someone else's roller coaster and understand that uh, they have a bigger headache in their life than your headache. So uh, that's also <laughs> what's fun. Um, or you're watching something comedic that makes you laugh and releases you. It creates a release in you. But um, there's, you know, there's nothing like the magic of storytelling. And so when you do watch, like you said, an episode of your of a, of a show, or or a movie, you're transported. I particularly love to watch movies. I'm more transported when I watch movies than I watch I TV shows. That. Although we know that there are some great TV shows going on because it's that golden age of television, and they hook you and you have to go. I'm watching right now. You know, Jack Ryan and Succession is great and. Uh, mind hunters and you know one episode hooks you into the other one and you have to like binge it and watch what's what's coming what's coming what's coming but um when you watch a really good movie for an hour and a half two hours you are transported in a different way it's it's a different magic and i particularly love that um You know, there's a difference between filmmaking and, you know, TV shows. There's a different adrenaline inside of you. I mean, I like both, don't get me wrong, but I particularly love to watch a really, really good movie.
0: Oh, I would definitely agree with that. They're both great, but there's something about a centralized story that takes place, you know, from an hour and a half to two hours, however long the movie may be. There's just something, like you said, something magical about it. So I, I would I would definitely agree with that.
2: If you're, there's something inside of you where you feel you, you've gained something, you have gotten something. I think it has to do with depth. It has to do if it's a good movie and the story's told well, and it's got you know great themes thematically that run through it. And because we're all universal as an audience, you know we're all more alike than not. So when we watch something, we, we can universally be moved by a story can really hit us in our gut, you know, in our core. Um, And that's something that that magic can be achieved uh, better through the medium of movies, of films, than TV shows. Although, again, not that I want to knock TV shows because there's some great TV shows and I'm addicted to many of them. (laughs) And There's some (laughs) absolutely fantastic, you know, acting and cinematography and writing in them but it's 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 an experience it's just a different experience and there's something about it and especially if you're watching a movie and and it's something that really grips you and you watch it on the big screen um you know it really hits you to something you know it, it it pulls cords inside of you and that's why we sign up for that experience
0: i 100% agree with that i couldn't have said it better myself uh, backtracking a little bit, you had mentioned that during your acting career, you discovered that you were good at teaching. Was there a specific moment where that made you decide, hey, I want to become essentially an acting instructor and you know, help other actors you know, get well, to where they need to be? Well, there were
2: two moments. One moment is when I made the decision to teach. I was actually uh, on the beach in Malibu, and I was walking. That's where I make all my big decisions, walking on the beach. And I was with my dad. Now he, my dad, has passed. But when he was alive, I said, "You know, I think that I think I have to teach." And we both talked about it, and he thought it was a great idea. At the time, I would run all my ideas through, you know, by him. Um, and um, and but, but another really pivotal moment that comes to mind is I was living in my guest house north of Montana at the time, and. Um, I had two auditions that my agent uh, had lined up for me, one in Pasadena and one in Hollywood. And literally my phone was ringing nonstop. I had literally at the time I would, you know, do like 10 coachings back to back. That was before I had children and and an acting school and before I directed film. But back then I was, you know, so I had like 10 coachings back to back. I literally would start to coach from 10 o'clock in the morning to 10 o'clock at night. I wouldn't even take a break in between. And, and I thought to myself, wow, look, my phone is ringing nonstop for coachings. Do I get in the car and do I drive and do these auditions where, you know, nothing's guaranteed? But here I've got 10 people that want to work with me. And, you know, it was just a no-brainer at the time. I called the agent and I said, I'm not going to go on auditions right now. I'm just going to keep working with actors. I think it was a great decision, you know, ultimately, because um, I- I've helped. I've helped actors, so... It was definitely uh, a good call on my part.
0: Well, in between, you know, founding your, your Edgemar Center and working with, you know, so many great actors like Chris Rock, Henry Cavill, uh, Zoe Deschanel, I, it definitely sounds like you, you made the right call. And it's, it's interesting the, the timing and just the little nuances of how little events happen that just spark big things like, you know, what I just described about you
2: yes <laughs> uh we well, have yeah, been lucky enough to work with some extraordinary actors and and not only known actors of course i've worked with you know award-winning actors and, but uh you know broadway actors uh, but also with you know up-and-coming actors I, I just had a wonderful email from um a really well-known actor and i was his first acting teacher and um you know, I, I'm casting right now for this movie that I'm going to do in a few weeks from now. I'm pre-production right now. And, and I called him, and, he and, you know, sight scene he goes, yes, I want to work with you. But he's on a show. He's doing a show uh, for Amazon. And uh, he's one of the leads. Um, and he, he wrote me a lovely email. He said, you know, the young actor uh, that, uh, you know, that you believed in, you know, who always will, you know, wants to work with you, and And then the older actor, you know, (laughs) wants to work with you. I'm paraphrasing it, but he said something wonderfully poetic and and wonderful. And, you know, and I did believe in him. I mean, I remember distinctly his work in class. And that was, oh, my God, I don't even want to say how long ago that was. That was a good 20 years ago (laughs) that he acted, you know, several scenes in class. And I immediately saw how gifted he was. And, uh, and encourage you know all of his natural impulses his instincts um and I'm so happy you know it's so rewarding when you know that you have contributed to someone and uh and you've made an impact on them, and you've affected their lives and you've affected their creative you know their creative life so um you know it's a good gig, let's just put it that way. <laughs> it's definitely a good a good job.
0: I was just going to comment. I'm sure it has to feel really heartwarming and gratifying when you see your students put in all this hard work and then when their hard work pays off with the success that they have. It's got to be a gratifying feeling for you.
2: Absolutely. There's no question about it. It's also also a great feeling when you're teaching class and you give some notes to actors and they go back into rehearsal and they come back the week after and they blow you away. I mean, there's a you know, and it completely raised the bar, and that's process, you know, and, and love love of acting, love of the work, that's a very rewarding feeling as well, and that's the very reason that makes me walk into class and teach.
0: That's awesome, that's that's really really great. A question I have about the actual process of being an acting instructor. I know you do your, your classes, but do you ever, say if you, you have a, a student that is going to shoot a film, do you sometimes maybe go with them on set to help them with their scenes you know, on set? Or do you strictly teach in a no. studio?
2: Absolutely, I have gone on set many times. Uh, a lot of the times people come to me and we script analyze. We take time to go through the script and talk about choices and work on the character and try different choices. Uh, you know, I've worked a month-long uh, process with different actors, uh, you know, very much on preparing for a part. And, uh, and also occasionally I do go on set. I mean, um, you know, I'm also a f- direct. I'm directing films right now, so my time is, you know, it's not so easy. Somebody actually offered me to go on set in Atlanta, but I couldn't go because I'm prepping. Um, but I also have a faculty of extraordinary coaches, uh, that I recommend, that uh, that are able to go on set as well, but uh, you know it's all a lear- learning experience, all of it.
0: For sure. No, I I've always been because I've heard stories about some actors having you know, acting coaches or acting instructors on set. So I, I I was very. It's a whole acting is almost an alien. Process to me. I've taken a couple of acting classes, and I remember the first time that I did it, I was absolutely petrified because I'm not a very sociable person by nature, anyway. So just having to, you know, act and try and be a completely different person in front of a even a small group of people, it, it can be intimidating. But it, it sounds like you know, you have a very warm and welcoming atmosphere in your classes.
2: I definitely do. Yeah. You know, uh, you know, I took Stella Adler's class, and she's very dogmatic and really tough, and people would be on, you know, walking on eggs around her. Um, but I never wanted, you know. And then I've taken Meisner classes, where you know Meisner teachers can be quite mean, and they go up to students and pinch them uh, to let them feel what it feels like to really have a reaction uh, and not act. But I always, when I was in class, and it got really uncomfortable with teachers, and they were mean and. And you know, put students down and made them sob and run out of the room. I always told myself I never thought that there was quite necessary to teach that way. I uh, think I, I get I get results coming from a much more um, nurturing, positive angle. And I don't call it critiques in scene study class. I don't like when people say I'm going to critique you because that already feels like you're starting with something negative. You know, I call I'm going to give you feedback, I'm going to give you some insights, you know, some thoughts on this. Um, just like if we were on set and we were working in a very relaxed way and we would, you know, give adjustments and rework it and, and try different things. I think only when an actor is released can the gold in them really come out. You know, all of their natural instincts, their impulses in, in terms of the, the character they're inhabiting can really come and, and shine. So I don't, you know, for some students, sometimes they need to have more of a whip. I call it more of a challenge. I, I prefer challenging them than whipping them.
0: That's a good way of putting it. And that actually brings up something that, because I was watching one of your videos on YouTube for your acting class, and you had mentioned something called the golden box technique. What. Mm-hmm. it what exactly is the golden box? Because I've heard of different acting techniques. So what exactly is the golden box compared to other techniques?
2: So I have studied all techniques. And, and I think that the actor of today, the actor that lives in 2019, 2020, whether it's the actor that you know, is in Hollywood or New York or London or anywhere in the world, it behooves them to learn about all the different techniques, the method, and what Stella Adler was teaching and what Sandy Meisner was teaching and Michael Chekhov, all the different techniques that exist, and start to feel what are the tools that they feel would work for them that they can apply, whether it's working with their personal life or working with their imagination or a combination of both or an emotional recall. I mean, there's many different ways to work, but you find out about all of them all the different concepts. And you start to pick the ones that you feel will work the best for you and you put them in this toolbox that you have. And then you start to work. You start to book jobs. You're on set. You're on stage. You're in front of the camera. So you learn other tools that you also add to that box. And then you live life fully. You risk in your life. You love. You lose. And uh, you also put those life lessons into that toolbox so the toolbox really becomes a golden box that you have the key with all unique concepts that can feed you and help you and you keep adding to it um, and that's you know your craft that's what you use to be creative with
0: so it's almost like a melting pot of learning experiences
2: that's right you know, some of its technical Some of them have to do with, you know, literally what you learn in life. And some of them have to do with professional lessons Then you learn when you're working with different directors, different actors, producers. So it is, it is a melting pot of all different skills.
0: Well, I think that's a great thing to teach, too, because with all these different techniques that are out there, whether it's acting or, you know, life lessons, whatever the case may be, there's no to me, there's no real set way to go through your life because everyone is different and they have different experiences, backgrounds, beliefs. So, for example, like your all the acting techniques you mentioned, one may not necessarily work for the other. So I think treating every actor as a unique individual is, is a fantastic
2: approach. Everybody is unique and every experience is unique and and you learn from everything. I mean, you learn from everything that you do.
0: Absolutely. And it's all
2: usable. It's all usable in your work.
0: Absolutely. Kind of transitioning into your directing, what was it that made you decide, hey, I want to try directing my own film? Uh,
2: Just because When I was doing, you know, movies with other people, they, um, you know, they signed the painting, and I wanted to be able to sign the painting, and the only person that can really truly sign the painting is the person that directs the movie, because you pick everything. You pick the color palette. You pick how it's going to go. You you make all, you know, all of the choices. So um, when you, you know, I would say when you finish a movie and someone else is directing And it's a wrap for you, for your character. You can go home and have postpartum depression. But when (laughs) you're doing a play, the play is the actor's medium. When you, you know, the last day of rehearsal, right before opening night, the director gathers the cast and says, it's your play, take it, it's yours. So the, you know, stage becomes the actor's medium. So when it came to movies, I wanted to be able to, you know, uh, craft. I wanted to be able to have the vision. And, um, and it's challenging, I mean, it's very uh, it's difficult to direct. It's a lonesome so it's, you're lonely because, you know, it's, you have to make a lot of decisions, and you have to think fast, and everybody comes up to you and asks you a million questions, and you have to inspire people to do their best. So it's, uh, you know, it's, and then you have to work so hard. You've got to work 18 hours a day, sometimes 20 hours a day, to get the results that you want. But uh, but there was a natural progression from you know from acting to teaching to directing and happy to do so I'm happy you know I'm always up for the challenge and I'm happy when it's hard and uh, yeah
0: <laughs> it's the definite there's definitely pros and cons of being a director that you get to ultimately make the decisions that need to be made in order to make this film a reality the con is sometimes you have to make the tough decisions in order to make the film real. And plus, you're, you're putting in, even as an actor, I'm sure you put in so much time when you're on set, you're delivering that performance to the best of your ability. But when you're a director, you have to think of so many other different things. And hopefully you have you know a producer or a really good AD that helps out. Because I know, especially with short films, you tend to wear a lot of hats, or people tend to wear a lot of hats. If they're a director, chances are they're a writer and producer as well. So, well, I'm very
2: lucky. I have an extraordinary creative team, and I've collaborated with them in the past. So I have a production designer that I've worked with on stage and on screen in the past. Same with my costume designer. Same with my first AD. Um, I have a great cinematographer this time. I've never worked with him, but I can tell that we're just going to work great together. Um, but I'm lucky to uh, you know, put together a lot of the same. My producers are the same. I have one producer that I've collaborated with for decades who's flying from new york uh, my my um editor we're gonna you know uh, has been uh, my editor for the last three features. so you know when you uh, when you direct, it's just great if you're able to maintain and put together this community of artists around you and you keep growing with each other and and raising the bar together. so uh, I feel very, very fortunate the the family you know, that's coming together to make this movie called The Runner that I'm shooting in three weeks are people that mostly I have relationships with and have worked with. So we have a shorthand together. <laughs> Sorry. It's my little doggie who's tiny, tiny and a big barker. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's usually how they are. The smaller the dog, the bigger the bark.
2: <laughs> the, the smaller the dog, the bigger the bark, yes
0: you hit on a word that I think is a perfect description for what a cast and crew eventually feel like at the end of a shoot. And that's family because you spend so much time together. You almost can't help but bond with each other. And I'm sure it's, it's almost like the end of summer camp in a way when, uh, because I felt the way when I did my, my short film last year, when we were finished it felt like the end of summer camp, and we were all just kind of going back to, you know, school or our own separate lives. And when we get together to have the wrap party or the premiere, it's almost like a family reunion in a way.
2: Totally. You know, you're a family for this project, and you come really close uh, when they're on set. And if they love, you know, particularly if they love the script and the story that, you know, they're doing, and it's not for necessarily a paycheck but it's the love of what they're doing then it even makes the bond be stronger
0: oh definitely and kind of hitting on that on that you mentioned you had a lot of the same crew working your your last couple of films that you did i watched the the trailers for the films that you've done and the thing i I like the most is that they all have different variety like they all seem like they're different genres So it seems like you you have a variety of tastes when it comes to films that you want to make, which I think is great.
2: Yes, Um, I uh, am a great admirer of Ang Lee and his work, and he tackles all different genres. So I did uh, my first movie was a romantic comedy called How to Go Out and Date in Queens. My second movie was a provocative, edgy drama called Hello Herman. My third one was a family adventure movie called The Bandit Hound with dogs and kids.
0: That trailer was hilarious, by the way.
2: A fantastic <laughs> cast. The wonderful, wonderful scene with Lou Ferrigno, the original Hulk, mm-hmm. and Vern Troyer, yep. Minnie-Meet, who sadly passed away and who actually was one of my former you know, students that I coached. He was quite wonderful. Uh, and then another, another great cast in that movie, Judd Nelson, who I went to Stella Adler's class together. Him and I studied with Stella. I had, uh, you know, kept in touch with him and asked him to be in it. Um, and so that that uh, was Bandit Hound. And then the last movie I did was Bad Impulse, also an extraordinary cast, uh, Paul Servino, who also was in The Bandit Hound, and um, Grant Bowler and um, uh, Sonia Walger. Uh, Really, uh, James Landry Herbert, who has a great part in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, the latest Tarantino movie. So, um, and this one is a completely different genre. It's a thriller, supernatural, horror, psychological thriller. And this new movie that I'm doing called The Runner is a suspense-action thriller. So, uh, I admire Ang Lee, and I admire the fact that he's attracted to different genres, and I'm attracted to different, you know... To different genres as
0: well. Well, I'm sure as a director, you want to increase your skill set.
2: Not that I'm comparing myself to Mike Lee. Oh way. no, no, no! But I'm just saying that you know, he uh, I took a page off his book in the sense of you know, not like saying I'm just going to direct horror or I'm just going to direct comedy.
0: Well, I think looking at it, I'm sure you look at it as a director's standpoint of you want to, you don't want to do the exact same thing over and over and over again, you want to do something different and in a way increase your skill set and challenge yourself and make yourself better because if you're making the same romantic comedy or drama over and over, you're really not gaining anything.
2: They do say that directors tend to do the same movie over and over again. At least I'll be doing it in different genres. (laughs) Um, But you know, thematically, I can see how there's some themes that really hit me. And that I want to keep talking about. So I can definitely see that, you know, through, uh, through different, uh, stories.
0: Oh, for sure. Uh, As we start to wrap up here, I did want to ask you a couple more quick questions. Uh, what, what type of advice would you give to an aspiring actor or filmmaker?
2: Um, and you can imagine how often that question has been asked of me in many different interviews and languages. Um, and I think my my answer has never wavered. You just have to work your butt off. You have to, first of all, you have to study because if you were going to learn to be a doctor, a lawyer, a police officer, or any other trade, you would be proud to learn the trade. You have to acquire the skill set. So this idea to really study so you can really know what you're doing and you don't feel like a dilettante is crucial. And then uh, after you um, develop a foundation, you develop craft, then you have to, uh, Stella Adler said it really well. She said, you have to have a talent for your talent, which means incredible work ethic, the desire to push past what's comfortable and I think is really doing it every time you don't feel like doing it. If you really own in on that muscle, that's an important muscle to work on. Because I always joke that I never feel like doing anything ever. I mean, but I push myself. And when I push myself, it's gratifying.
0: Well, it's even more gratifying when you put an extreme amount of work in. You just know That's all that, right. the hard work and the sacrifice, it 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 just means so much more when you accomplish something, when you put that much time and effort into it.
2: That's absolutely right.
0: And I know you had mentioned The Runner that you're going to be filming in a couple of weeks. As far as uh, other upcoming projects, do you have anything else that you want to talk about?
2: Well, I have The run. I'm very excited. I'm going to do this movie with... Uh Two really wonderful actors. One of them has been uh, recently wrote a, a book, uh, Cameron Douglas. Um, he's going to play one of the parts. And this other uh, actor called uh, Edouard Philipponat, who uh, is really, really good young actor. Uh, this is going to be his first big movie. And uh, I'm then I'm working with this extraordinary actress that I adore called Anne Archer. Uh, and this is a play. That we're going to open at the Edgemont Center for the Arts uh, next year, at the end of February, early March. And uh, it's based on the life of Norris Church-Mailer, who was the wife of 30 years of Norman Mailer. And she wrote a book called The Ticket to the Circus, and uh, it was adapted into a uh, one-woman show. And that's what I'm directing, starring Ann Archer.
0: Fantastic. Last question, do you have any uh, website or anything you'd like to plug so the listeners can follow you?
2: Absolutely. I have uh, com. the Edgemar Center for the Arts. We also have an annual film festival at the Edgemar Center for the Arts called Cinema at the Edge. And uh, filmmakers are submitting their shorts and their documentaries and their narratives. And every year we premiere some great, great movies. Um, there's so many wonderful movies out there because everyone, as we know with the technology today, can make a truly wonderful movie. So uh, it's it's a very, um, um, what's it called, packed uh, event with lots of screenings and Q&As and um, panels and parties. And that's happening at the end of February in Santa Monica. So, you know, if filmmakers are listening... They can send their movies, and we show lots of movies during those four days.
0: A lot of good things happening. That's awesome.
2: Absolutely. Yes.
0: Awesome. Well, Michelle, thank you so much for taking the time to do the podcast. This was fantastic.
2: Thank you so much for having me. It's great to talk to you. Thank you.
0: Thank you once again to Steve Wise and Michelle Danner for taking the time to come on the podcast. For next week's show, we'll be back on the normal Thursday schedule, and we have a whopping three segments for next week's show. Steve will be returning once again along with Julio Diaz to review the film Knives Out. I'll also be promoting the upcoming film screening that I'm doing on December 21st with Brittany Least, who played the role of Emma, in my directorial debut of The Parker Syndrome, And I'll also be chatting with artist Sam Sawyer, who's actually in the process of developing her very first animated series called Salem. So we'll talk about her career, the idea for Salem, and what she's done as far as crowdfunding goes to get that started. But until then, you can check out past episodes of this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Spotify. Just search for The Derek Diamond Experience, and don't forget to leave a review you can also follow me on social media at Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at D Diamond Podcast. And thank you, as always, to my close friends, the Unicorn Wranglers, for providing the theme music for the podcast. Their songs, Late Night Drive Through and Light and Jazzy, can be found on their latest album, Greetings from the Space Van, which you can find on Apple Music, Google Play, and Spotify. And I think that's going to do it for this week's show. So hopefully you guys enjoyed it. Enjoy the rest of your week. Happy Thanksgiving. Enjoy all the turkey, stuffing, all that fun stuff, whatever your Thanksgiving tradition might be. Have a safe and fun weekend. Don't get too crazy with Black Friday shopping. Thank you for tuning in to another awesome episode of the Derek Diamond Experience. I'm your host, Derek Diamond, and we'll see you guys back here next Thursday.